At Providence, we teach from the Bible every week we because we believe that it reveals everything we need to know in order to uh, obey Jesus, to worship Jesus, to follow Jesus. And so we are currently in a series called The Presence, The Power, and The People of God. And in this series, we're studying the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works in the life of the church. And so today, the passage we're going to be hearing from can be found in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, we're going to be reading verses 15 through 31. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible, we've placed a few hardback copies somewhere in the seats around you. And if you don't own a Bible, please take one of those hard copies home with you and consider it a gift of ours to you. We want everyone to have a copy of the scriptures that desires a copy of the scriptures. And again, we're going to be reading from John chapter 14. We're going to read verses 15 through 31. And once you arrive there, if you don't mind, please standing with me for the reading of God's word, if you're able to. John chapter 14 Beginning in verse 15, it reads like this. Hear the word of the Lord. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my father and you are in me and I in, and I in you. Whoever has my commandment and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world does or gives do, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise and let us go from here. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let me go ahead and pray for us. Father, we come before your throne of grace and we humble ourselves in your sight. But God, we come to you boldly because it says in your word in Hebrews 10 that because there is a sacrifice for our sins, we can come boldly before the throne of grace and we can make our petitions known. And so, Father, we come and we petition you by the blood of Jesus to hear our cry. God, and that cry is that you would do your work in us by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would come into this place now, and you would magnify the person and work of Christ Jesus, that our hearts might be gripped by his glory and by his grace, and Father, we might respond to the glorious grace of Christ with hearts that are filled with joy and gratitude and generosity. Father, I pray that our church, God, would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of Christ, and Father, out of that knowledge would flow hearts of worship God, that we would desire to live and do as you have called us to do, and we would do that, God, from a sincere posture of joy and gratitude. Now help us, Father, to see clearly what it is that you desire us to see and to do what it is you desire us to do, and I pray that we would do these things in a way that gives glory to Christ Jesus and edifies your people, and we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. And so as I said earlier, we are currently in a sermon series called The Power, the Presence, and the People of God, and we are looking at the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. 
and the life of the Holy Spirit or the, the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. And so what we've seen so far is we're, this, this is only our third week, but what we've seen so far is that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God himself, that he is the third member of the Trinity and he is an active agent of God's redeeming and renewing work in the world. We are utterly incapable of being who God has created us to be and doing what he has called us to do without the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? We can't do it. We can't become who God has called and created us to be. We cannot live as he has saved and sent us to live unless we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. And so last week we saw that the Holy Spirit is the very presence of God, that the Holy Spirit is not just God with us. He is God in us. And this is a glorious truth. Amen? He is God in us. And according to the prophecy recorded in Ezekiel 36, the Spirit of God has been poured into the people of God for the divine purposes of God, which is to give us a new heart and to make us holy. So the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells every believer of Jesus. This was a prophecy that was given in the Old Testament, a prophecy that was fulfilled in the book of Acts chapter 2. And the, the, the staggering claim is that the Holy Spirit now comes and dwells inside of us and He makes our heart new. And He does that for the purpose of making us holy. That is why he is called the Holy Spirit. And he is given to make God's people holy. And he came to remove the veil to the temple where the glorious presence of God once dwelled and to make us, the church, now the dwelling place of his presence. And again, staggering claim. And we looked at that last week. And this is good news because the veil that once divided God's people from his presence has been removed. And now we can not only see his glory, but we can experience his glory through the transforming power of the gospel. And so this is what we've looked at thus far. And this week, we're going to talk about the crucial role the Holy Spirit plays in revealing the person and work of Jesus to us. And so the title of the sermon today is The Spirit of Revelation. And the reason we came out of John chapter 14, verse 15 through 31 is because it is very clear that as Jesus is spending time with his disciples just before the upper room, right as the upper room discourse is approaching and, and before he is, they, of course, they move out into the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is speaking with his disciples and he gives them this staggering claim and promise, and that is that the Holy Spirit was going to come to them and he was going to be the helper. All right, now the word helper is really a, a, one of these glorious biblical words that means a number of things. It could mean that the Holy Spirit has come and he, or he, is, he is coming to be our advocate, that he is coming to be our counselor, that he is coming to be our guide, that the Holy Spirit is going to come and he is going to help us. And the primary thing that we see in John chapter 14 is that he is going to help us continue in the knowledge and the ministry of Jesus. And he is going to help us to know Jesus, that he's going to help us to worship Jesus, that he is going to help us to obey Jesus. This is what the Holy Spirit is coming to do. And so in John chapter 14, verse 15, I'm going to start and I'm going to back back up and I'm going to make a few points. And then there's some few, a couple other scriptures that I want us to see. First and foremost, we need to see that the Holy Spirit has come to help us to know Christ. Okay? The Holy Spirit has come to help us to know Christ. Now, go back with me to John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And in verse 16, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, what Jesus is saying here is that the Father, after Jesus leaves, is the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to reveal the truth of God to the people of God. Now, here's what else he says. He says, the world, though, cannot receive this knowledge. The world cannot receive this truth. And what he means by the world, when Jesus speaking, he's talking about those who do not know Christ saying that the world cannot receive this knowledge, the world cannot see this knowledge, but the Holy Spirit is going to come and he is going to make this knowledge available to you. Now, I want you to hold your finger in John chapter 14 still, or put your little Bible ribbon there if you've got one, uh, or if you're using your app, you know, you can just swipe. Uh, but John chapter 14, hold your finger there and turn with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. 
Actually, we'll, we'll start in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, in verse 18, and then we'll get down to 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. Now, we're going to read a decent portion of Scripture here, but I'm doing this simply for the sake of context because I want you to understand just how important the role of the Holy Spirit is in this aspect of making Christ known to us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 18, this is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. He says this, He says, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, bless you, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, listen, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now let's keep reading. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, verse 6. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age, we are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Say it again. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one, for who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, I read a ton of, a ton of the, the, the Bible to you just then, well, not a ton, uh, to sit and listen. It might sound like a ton. But I read, I read that to you specifically to make this case. What Paul is doing or what he is saying to the Corinthian church is he is saying that there is worldly wisdom and there is spiritual wisdom. And he says worldly wisdom looks for God to come, or essentially worldly wisdom would look for God to come and to reveal himself in what we might consider worldly ways. Have you ever heard the argument, if God is real, how come he doesn't just reveal himself to us? You ever heard that argument? If God is real, how come he doesn't just like part the skies one day stick his face down and say peekaboo, and then just kind of go right back up. Everyone would be like, oh, now I believe, right? So if you ever heard that, you've heard that argument, surely from those that are not Christians, maybe if you're not a Christian here in the room right now, you've had that question. You've, you've thought, if God is real, how come he doesn't just reveal himself to us? How come he doesn't just make himself known to us? 
And what Paul is saying is that God has revealed himself to us, but he hasn't done it in a way that we would expect him to do it. He hasn't done it in a way that aligns itself with what he is contrasting as Greek wisdom. The Greeks looked for uh, wisdom to be manifest through philosophy in very practical ways, and the Hebrews looked for wisdom to be demonstrated in power and such. They wanted, they wanted to know very clearly who God was by what he said. But Paul is making the argument that God has revealed himself to us in the person and work of Jesus in the cross, but that is a knowledge that we can't even receive without the help of the Holy Spirit. We cannot know who Jesus is and what he has come to do. We cannot know the wisdom of God revealed to us in Christ apart from the help of the Holy Spirit. And so we are completely helpless and dependent upon the Holy Spirit to reveal God to us. Listen, this is why when we pray, for those of you that pray for your friends or your coworkers or your neighbors or your family members to be saved, right? You want them to know Jesus and you want them to be saved, right? And so you pray. But this is why when you pray, you don't pray to the person. Who do you pray to? You pray to God. Why do you pray to God? Now, of course, you're going to appeal to the person. You're going to, as 2 Corinthians 5 says, that knowing the fear of the Lord, we try and persuade men, right? So you're going to appeal to the person, but ultimately you're not going to pray to that person because you know that that person in and of themselves cannot save themselves. It is God who has to reveal himself to them. And so we pray not to them. We pray to God. We say, God, will you reveal yourself to them so that they might know you so that they might be saved, right? Now, this is what Paul is saying. He's saying that the Spirit of God is the one who reveals to us the wisdom of God, and the wisdom of God is made manifest in what the world might consider foolish, which is the cross of Christ. That salvation came through a cross. That salvation came through a man who chose not the high things of this world, but he chose the lowly things of this world. And Paul actually appeals to the Corinthians in a way that it would be insulting to some of us, because he says to them, God chose what is, in verse 28 of, of chapter 1, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So he says to them, God didn't choose you to reveal himself to you because you were wise. God didn't choose to reveal himself to you because you had it all together. God didn't choose to reveal himself to you because uh, anything else except for the fact that he is gracious and merciful towards us. That's the reason he did it. And so this puts us, brothers and sisters, if it's true that the Holy Spirit, we need the help of the Holy Spirit to know who Christ is and to see the glory of Christ, then that puts us at a state of dependency upon the Holy Spirit to reveal Christ to us. And so go back with me to John chapter 14. We're going to continue on there. So whenever Jesus says, the spirit of truth in verse 17, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know what he means. And in verse, uh, the latter part of verse 17, he says, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you, which is what we talked about last week, right? He's not just with us, but he is now dwelling in us. And verse 18 is an incredible promise. And we'll talk more about the spirit of adoption in another sermon, but he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, and you also live. In verse 20, in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now what day is he talking about? He's talking about the day that he sends the Holy Spirit to them. Saying when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to know these things. You're going to know that I'm in the Father, and that you are in me, and I am in you. In verse 21, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, Judas says, he has that last thing that Jesus says right there, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus, uh, Judas is sitting there and he's thinking, okay, why is Jesus just going to manifest himself to those who love him? Right? So this is Judas's question. 
And the Bible makes it clear this is not Judas Iscariot. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself and to us and not to the world? So Judas is asking a very practical question. Jesus, why are you going to manifest yourself to us, your disciples, and not to the world? Why are you going to make yourself known to us and not to the world? It's a very practical and honest question. But Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. So Jesus is making it very clear. I am going to manifest myself to those who love me. Now, for some of us, you might think, well, that's, that's a bit of, of a conundrum there, right? Because we can't love Jesus apart from the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, right? Can't love Christ without, without the Bible makes it clear, you can't call him Lord except for the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you, much less love him without the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside you. So we have a bit of a conundrum because Jesus is saying, I'm only going to manifest myself to those who love me, but at the same time, the only way in which we love, him, love Christ is through the work of his manifesting power and presence in our lives. And so there's this problem that we're confronted with right here, which is that We can't love Jesus without the Holy Spirit. We can't see Jesus without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit both has to come to us to reveal Christ to us, and the Holy Spirit both has to dwell inside of us for us to love Christ. And so do you see this? The knowledge of Christ depends upon the Holy Spirit. Being able to love and obey Jesus comes to us by the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is driving home this point. You will need the Holy Spirit. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do, I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He says, you heard me say, I am going away and I will come to you if you love me. You would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now, what Jesus is is really trying to drive home to his disciples, and what I, I hope we see here, is that he is pointing to this glorious day that whenever he goes and he ascends back to be sitting at the right hand of the Father, and the Holy Spirit is going to come and be sent to the disciples and poured out on them on Act in, in the book of Acts, chapter two, right? Where we see the Holy Spirit being poured out. Jesus is pointing to this glorious day where his followers would be filled with the Spirit. And this is glorious because Jesus is making it abundantly clear that we can't know the glory of God. We cannot see the glory of God. We cannot rejoice in the glory of God. We cannot see the beautiful aspects of the, or different facets of the gospel apart from the Holy Spirit's coming to dwell inside of us. The Spirit has to open the eyes of our hearts to see the glory of Jesus And so Jesus points to this day whenever the Spirit is going to come. Now, in John chapter 16, you should just be maybe a page or two away. In John chapter 16, if you look, and I'm not going to read, uh, this is another kind of exposition on the Holy Spirit, and I'm not going to read all of this because this is another sermon about six weeks from now, talking about the Spirit of truth. But I am going to point to one passage because I think it's pertinent to this topic too. In John chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. In verse 14, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, this is another important point. That Jesus says, whenever the Holy Spirit comes, the primary work that the Holy Spirit is going to do is he's going to reveal the truth of God to us, but even more than that, he is going to glorify Jesus before us. And so many of us, and the reason I think this is important is because many of us have a misconstrued vision of what the Holy Spirit has come to do. All right, for those of us that might come from a more charismatic or even Pentecostal background, uh, we often see the Holy Spirit has co- as coming almost explicitly just to give us power. 
All right, that we see the Holy Spirit is coming to, to manifest the power of God among us. And this is why there's such a heavy emphasis in charismatic churches and Pentecostal churches put on the book of Acts, particularly Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out and on, in great power on the day of Pentecost. And it says that like divided tongues of fire was, came and manifest among them, and they all were speaking in tongues. And then they moved from that place, and Peter preached in great power and boldness, and 3,000 people were added to, that, added to the church that day. And then you see the continuing ongoing work and ministry of the Holy Spirit throughout the book of Acts. And it seems that the Holy Spirit is manifest with, or is, is manifesting the work of God with great power. But where more charismatics or Pentecostal will put a heavy emphasis is they will emphasize almost exclusively the power of God through the Holy Spirit, but they will neglect the fact that the Holy Spirit's primary role in ministry was to come to reveal to us who Jesus is and to glorify Jesus. And the manifesting power that he is doing is he is simply manifesting the ministry of Jesus among us. That the Holy Spirit came, yes, to, to give gifts to the church. The Holy Spirit, yes, to came, give, get, came to give power to the church. But the power that he came to give was to make us holy. And the gifts that he came to give was to make us sanctified so that we might serve one another and live as missionary agents of Jesus in the world. So the giving of the Holy Spirit, and this is important for us to know, is not just so that we might have, and I said this a, a bit last week and I'll emphasize it again here today, is not just that we might have encounters, powerful encounters with the presence of God. It's not just that we might feel things in the presence of God, that we might experience the, the, the felt love of Christ in our hearts. The Holy Spirit was given so that according to Jesus, that, that Christ would be revealed to us and that Christ would be glorified among us. And so I want to make this, this, this very, very clear to us. I think one of the reasons that it's so easy to neglect the Holy Spirit in the church, and we talked about that in week one. We said that, the, as Francis Chan said, that the Holy Spirit is often the forgotten God. That uh, as the third member of the Trinity, he is often the most neglected member of the Trinity in most circles. Again, not in charismatic circles, not in Pentecostal circles, I don't believe. He's often the most heightened and most illuminated. But in most Christian traditions and denominations and movements, the Holy Spirit is easily forgotten. Now, I think one of the reasons that it's easy to neglect the work of the Spirit is because the Holy Spirit himself does not desire to be put on display. The Holy Spirit himself desires for Christ to be put on display. So it becomes easy to neglect the work of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit himself does not want to be central. He wants Christ to be central. But just because the Holy Spirit wants Christ to be central doesn't mean that we should neglect the work of the Holy Spirit. Because much of what we will often, and this is, this is a, a, a correction that we need to make, much of what we will often attribute to the gospel and the work of Jesus is actually the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say that again. Much of what we will attribute to the gospel and to the work of Christ is actually the work of the Holy Spirit. Now Christ came and he lived and he died and he rose and he did all of those things to purchase salvation for us. Amen? Right? Christ came and he lived the life that we could never live as a perfect substitute, right? He died the death that we should have died as that perfect substitute, and he rose triumphantly over Satan's sin and the grave, right? He rose, and his resurrection was a sign and the guarantee of our inheritance that one day we will be resurrected as well, that he has triumphed over Satan's sin and death, and if we put our faith, hope, and trust in him, then we can also and one day will be raised from the dead as well. Now, Christ came and he purchased, now listen, he purchased salvation for us. But the agent who works salvation into us is the Holy Spirit. The agent who works salvation into us is the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes in gospel-centered churches, we will say, the gospel this, the gospel that, the gospel, 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 right? Like I've said that before, we sound like gospel turkeys, gospel, 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 right? It's, it's the gospel this. And then we will even say, I have been, I'm serious, we will say, I have been transformed by the gospel and transformed through the gospel and the gospel is working in my heart. The gospel is working in my life. The gospel is doing this. The gospel is doing that. Now listen, the gospel is simply the message. 
The Holy Spirit is the means. It is not the gospel that is transforming your heart. It is the Holy Spirit of God that is transforming your heart through the gospel. And so it is important that we don't attribute to the gospel the things that the Holy Spirit himself is doing. Why? Because I think that contributes to the neglect of the Holy Spirit. And we will, we will turn ourselves into a deformed people where we are emphasizing aspects and we're doing it out of sincere heart and pure motives. If you've ever done that, listen, this is not, this is not to condemn you. Hopefully this will help correct you though. So that way you can properly glorify and thank God, the Holy Spirit for what he is doing in your life. But remember, the work that he is doing is the work that Christ came to accomplish, and the Holy Spirit is quite content to take this role in which he wants us to magnify Jesus. He wants us to glorify Jesus. This is what John 16, verse 14 makes very clear, is that the Holy Spirit will glorify me, and he will take what is mine, and he will declare it to you. So it's very important that we also see that the Holy Spirit takes what is Christ, and he, and he declares it to us that the Holy Spirit's primary work is to make known to us what Jesus has come to say and to do. Now, one of the things that we often do, because we will take cues, and, and this, is, this is, again, to bring a bit of correction to us, and I don't do this from a spirit of condemnation, but hopefully from a, from a, from a pastoral heart. Um, I've prayed that my heart would be rooted in the right place whenever I say these kind of things. One of the things that we will do is we will take cues from Western contemporary pop spirituality. Say those words again. Western, situated in the West, which is where America is, Western culture. Contemporary, made popular today. Pop, it is popular today. Spirituality, we will take cues from Western contemporary pop spirituality, and we will ascribe... Basically, Western contemporary pop spiritual virtues to the work of the Holy Spirit, meaning we will, we will basically turn the Holy we've talked about this before, we will turn the Holy Spirit into an impersonal force that just gives us secret knowledge, secret wisdom, gives us little nudges in the heart. The Holy Spirit can tell you to eat a fish taco versus a beef taco. Uh, Holy Spirit can, you know, it just basically gives you all kinds of secret little wisdom and knowledge. And now I'd never want to undermine the fact that I think the Holy Spirit can and does speak to God's people, right? That he can convict your heart and that he can urge you to go left or to go right at moments, that he can give you wisdom, right? I never want to say that the Holy Spirit will not do those things, but I also don't want us to reduce the Holy Spirit to some internal mystical force that is just secretly guiding us about our own privatized individual pursuit of God because what the Holy Spirit has primarily come to do is to reveal Jesus to the church, to make Jesus known in the church and to make Jesus known through the church. And so here's what I want to say. If you have turned the Holy Spirit into your own mystical little voice in your heart, and the Holy Spirit can actually lead you to do things, the Holy Spirit, you believe the Holy Spirit can lead you to do things that are contrary to the Scripture, or the Holy Spirit can lead you to do things that are contrary to the person and work of Christ, then I'm going to tell you that is not the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. The Bible makes it very clear that there are spirits that come disguised as the spirit of truth, but they are actually the spirit of deception. So if you want to know that it's, the, you want to know without a shadow of a doubt that it is the Holy Spirit of God that is speaking to you, then the Holy Spirit of God is always going to speak in a way that glorifies Jesus and honors Jesus and takes Jesus' word at face value. The Holy Spirit will never undermine the word of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will never undermine the work of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will never undermine the word of God. The Holy Spirit will never undermine the work of God. The Holy Spirit will always speak in accordance with what Christ has already spoken. Amen. He will always speak in accordance with what Christ has already spoken. That's why it's dangerous to do the Western contemporary spirit, pop spirituality because that basically manifests itself in saying, well, God said to me. 
And you say, but that's not what he says in his word. But you say, but it doesn't matter because that's what he said to me. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth and he will not speak on his own authority, which means the Holy Spirit's not going to just speak random little things to you. What the Holy Spirit is going to do is he will, whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me and he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to reveal the person and work of Jesus to us. He's going to reveal the word of Jesus to us and Hopefully, that is going to lead to us glorifying Christ. It's going to lead to us glorifying Christ. There's this interesting exchange that happens with Jesus and a woman at the well in uh, John chapter 14, a Samaritan woman. And, uh, you know, he interacts with her, and I'm not going to go into the whole discourse, but basically he confronts her in some some sin sin issues in her life. And and, uh, as soon as she realizes that he's confronted her and he's a prophet sent from God, she says, she says, surely you're sent from God. Then... Uh, she tries to quickly uh, derail the conversation. And she says, well, you know, our forefathers said that, that, that uh, this, is, this is where real worship takes place. And Jesus essentially says, listen, listen, lady, there's a time coming, and now is that time when my people will worship me in spirit and in truth, right? And then he goes on to speak about the Holy Spirit, and he says the Holy Spirit is going to come, and he is going to be like rivers of living water that is gushing in you and out of you. That the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to worship, that there's going to come a day and we're going to worship in spirit and truth. And when that day comes, the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to be like living waters rushing in and rushing out of us. And so even our worship, brothers and sisters, is centered in truth and it's focused on Christ. It's centered in truth and it's focused on Christ. So that's why it's important that whenever we come and we gather for worship, that we understand that we're worshiping not just in spirit, which some people like to do. And what they mean by spirit is like they want all the emotion and stuff, right? Can we please just do arrangements that like have like emotional crescendos and things like that, you know? Like some of us actually like choose worship music, not based on the truth that's in it, but based on the way it makes us feel. And so Jesus says that, no, 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 the Holy Spirit is going to come. And yes, the Spirit will because he is active and activation of the person of God working in your heart. He's going to make you feel things. But the things that we feel should always be in line with the truth that we know. And so the Holy Spirit has come to reveal, or he has come to reveal truth to us. He has come to make known to us who Jesus is and what he has come to do. And if you go back to John 14... This is a passage that I, that I kind of skipped over and I didn't emphasize, but I will now. I didn't start there. This is the staggering claim. In verse 12 of 14, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And then in verse 15, he promises the Holy Spirit. Now, what is this, what is this getting at? Well, first of all, this is another one of those staggering claims, because Jesus says very plainly that whoever believes in him will do the works that he does, and greater works... how are we going to do greater works than Jesus? You know the works that Jesus did? He did some pretty awesome, phenomenal, great works. But Jesus says that whoever believes in me is going to do the work that I was sent to do, but not only are they going to do the work that I was sent to do, they're going to do greater works. Now, some of us interpret this to mean, as in like, well, Jesus like raised the dead and Jesus healed the lame, and Jesus healed the sick, and Jesus did this, and Jesus did that, and so therefore, that must mean that I'm going to be able to do that in greater measure, right? And so you might think that, and then, that, then you're kind of frustrated that the last time that you went to a funeral, you couldn't make a dead person become an alive person. You're like, wait a second, Jesus, I thought you said greater works, right? Or the last time you went and visited a sick relative in the hospital, you prayed for them, and they weren't immediately healed. You're like, wait a second, Jesus, I thought you said greater works. 
So when we look at this, we'll sometimes see, say, okay, the works that Jesus did, if I'm going to do greater works now that I have the Holy Spirit, then that must mean that whatever Jesus did, I'm going to be able to do more readily, in a more readily accessible manner or fashion. But that's not why I don't believe what Jesus is getting at. It's because you have to remember that whenever Jesus says that his Holy Spirit is coming, he's speaking to the Holy Spirit coming to his people. The Holy Spirit is coming to his disciples, and his disciples were the foundational cornerstones that his church was built upon. That the Holy Spirit is coming, and he is coming to establish the church. And so the work that we are going to be doing is very much, yes, the work that Christ was engaged in. And the work that we're going to be doing is going to continue to advance the ministry and the mission of Jesus in the world. But whenever he says that the works that we're going to do are going to be greater than his works, we need not think of them in terms of greater in quality, but greater in quantity. That the work that we're going to be doing is going to be greater in range, in scope, Now, how do we know that this is what Jesus is getting at? Because later in John chapter 16, and I'm not going to read it now, but again, because it's another sermon. Later in John chapter 16, Jesus says, it's better for you that I go. What? Can you imagine that? These 12 guys that have been following Jesus around, watching him raise the dead, watching him heal the sick, Watching him heal people without even being in their presence, right? In the case of the centurion's daughter, like watching them heal, watching him do all of these things, watching him walk on water. And and they're just, they're hanging on every word that he has to say. And they're like, this guy is incredible. Jesus is amazing. I want to be with him all the time. Every time we're around him, something spectacular seems to happen. But Jesus makes this staggering claim in John 16, where he says, it's better for you that I go. Now, what could possibly be better than Jesus with you? Jesus in you. And that's the promise that we were were celebrating last week, is the only thing that could be better than Jesus with you in bodily presence is the Spirit of Christ now dwelling in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. So whenever Jesus says you're going to do greater works, what he's saying is, I'm limited in my ability to do the work here. I'm limited because I am in bodily form. The Spirit of God, right? The Godhead dwelt bodily in Christ Jesus. Philippians, right? The Godhead dwelt bodily in Christ Jesus. And because the fullness of God dwelt bodily in Christ Jesus, the Spirit of God is now living in Christ as He's moving and operating. It is the Spirit of Christ or the Spirit of God in Christ that's causing these people to be raised from the dead. It's the Spirit of God that's causing the blinded eye to be opened. It's the Spirit of God that's causing people to believe. It's doing all of those things. And so whenever Jesus is pointing to the day that the Holy Spirit is coming, He's He's saying, The Spirit that is at work in me is one day going to be at work in you. And the work that you're going to do is going to be far greater than the work that I'm currently doing because you are going to be obedient to that great commission that he calls them to later, right? In Matthew 28, where they will go and they will make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he's commanded. And it says what? He's going to be with us even to the end of the age. So Jesus is pointing to this great and glorious day Or when the Holy Spirit comes, he is going to continue the ministry of Jesus through us. So how can we do greater works than Christ? The Holy Spirit has come to broaden the range of what Christ could do through his people. And the Holy Spirit has come to be a primary agent of work in and through the church. And so if you've ever read the book of Acts and you've noticed just how many times the Holy Spirit is mentioned... Right? I remember like studying for this sermon series and then just doing a word study on the word spirit, capital S spirit, uh, the pronoun, and seeing that the majority, now there's a lot, of course, in the New Testament, more in the New Testament than in the Old Testament, but the majority of the word use of the word Holy Spirit or spirit is used in the book of Acts. Now, why is that? In your Bible, it will say the book of Acts or the Acts of the Apostles, John Stott, a theologian, once, once argued, he said, the more accurate title for the book of Acts should not be the Acts of the Apostles, it should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. 
Because what's happening in the book of Acts, and the author, Luke, is wanting to establish in the book of, the, book of Acts is that the Holy Spirit has come to establish the church. And the Holy Spirit has come to establish the church, and what he is doing in the church is he is equipping the church and empowering the church for the ministry of the church, and the ministry that the church has been entrusted with is the ministry of Jesus himself. And so it's important that we understand, brothers and sisters, before we go any further into the sermon series on the person and work of the Holy Spirit, that we need to know that the Holy Spirit has been given and has been poured out to make Jesus known to us, to enable us to worship Jesus, and to enable us to obey and continue to operate in the ministry of Jesus. And so when we talk about the wonderful work of regeneration, which we'll talk about next week, or when we talk about the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit coming and sealing our hearts and giving us assurance, which we'll talk about the following week, when we talk about the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit in adopting us and making us sons of God, when we talk about the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit raising Christ Jesus from the dead and giving life to us and serving as a guarantee of our inheritance, when we talk about the Holy Spirit coming and and making known to us the truth of God's word and writing the word of God for us, being the the author of the word of God, when we talk about the Holy Spirit coming and reconciling God's people like written about in the the book of Ephesians chapter two, when we talk about the Holy Spirit coming and imparting spiritual gifts to the church or coming and giving power to the church and baptizing the church in the spirit, when we talk about all of those things, we're talking about it in a way that hopefully drives home the point that the Holy Spirit is doing what he was sent to do, which is to make much of Jesus and to continue the ministry of Jesus and to make known the presence and the power of Jesus among the people of God. That when you read the Bible, we have a trinity, right? It's very clear that God is trinity. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And a way to look at the Bible is to see the Father is the one who has planned the work of redemption. And the one who governs and oversees the work of redemption. The the Son is the one who came and accomplished the work of redemption for us. And the Holy Spirit is the one who is actively working redemption into the world through God's people and by God's people. And we see these wonderful truths that we'll talk about more about how the Holy Spirit, and we even saw it a bit in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that the Holy Spirit is at work in the preaching of God's word. The Holy Spirit is at work in evangelism, and we'll talk about all those things, how, how do people come to know Christ? How are people saved? It's through the preaching of God's word. Through, the evangel- through, through speaking of the good news of Jesus. And, and it's the Holy Spirit himself who makes the gospel plain to us, who makes the gospel clear to us, who, who opens the eyes of the unbelieving heart, who unstops the ears of the deafened heart, who, who causes the dead to be made alive. The Holy Spirit does all of these things. But listen, God does all of that through his people as we act in obedience to preach and to evangelize and to make disciples and to serve the poor and to serve the marginalized and to go and to pray for the sick and to pray for those that are, that are, that are not well, right? And to go and minister to the marginalized and to the poor and to the destitute. This is all God working in and through his people. The Holy Spirit has been given to us, brothers and sisters, to know the message of Jesus and to live out the ministry of Jesus. And so again, I think one of the reasons it's easy to ignore the work of the Holy Spirit is because the Holy Spirit himself is very Christ-centered. He wants us to know Jesus. He wants us to obey Jesus. He wants us to glorify Jesus and to obey the commands of Jesus. And so I want to pray for us, and here's what I want to pray for. I want to pray that when we I want to pray rather, I want to pray that we as a church would be a spirit-filled church, but that we understand that what it means to be spirit-filled is to be filled with the same spirit that filled Christ and to be active in the same ministry as Christ. And so a church that is spirit-filled will be filled with the knowledge of the gospel. A church that is spirit-filled will be filled with the knowledge of Jesus. A church that is spirit-filled will be focused on the glory of Jesus. And I want us to pray that, yes, our church would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want us to, to pray that our church would be passionate and unashamed about proclaiming the message of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we know that the Spirit has been given to us to make Jesus known. 
that we cannot know Christ apart from the work of the Spirit, and so we are dependent upon Him to do His work in and through us if we're going to be effective in the world He's called us to. So let me pray. Father, we come before Your throne of grace, and we humble ourselves in Your sight. Again, God, we we pray and we plead and we ask that you would do a work in us that only you can do. Father, I'm sure that in a room like this, there are men, there are women, maybe a few, maybe more than a few that do not know you, that do not believe. Maybe some are frustrated because they want to believe, but they just can't for whatever reason that there's an obstacle, there's a barrier to belief there. Maybe it's the belief in, uh, in something, God, about you that seems contrary and they're just struggling. And Father, your word makes it clear that it's not a natural thing that's causing them to not be able to believe. It is a spiritual reality. And so I pray for your Holy Spirit to open the eyes of the heart of every unbeliever in this room right now. May they see, God, that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us through Christ Jesus. And know you're not presently walking the earth in bodily form, but you are presently at work in your church who is meant to be your body. And so the work, God, that you're doing in and among us, God, that is meant to be a testimony to those who do not know and to those who do not believe. But Father, sometimes the unbelieving world will look at the church and rather than seeing reason to believe, they'll see reasons to disbelieve because the church is so filled with hypocrisy or the church is filled with nominalism or the church is so weak and impotent in its cause. Oh God, I pray that you would do a work in our midst, in our church, in our people, God, in such a way that your spirit would give such life and expression to your people and and would empower us to such a degree that we are so effective in the mission that you've called us to, God, that it would cause those that don't believe to see the work that's happening in and through this church, God, and they would have a hard time arguing against the existence of God because they would just be left to say that there's no way that you can explain what's happening in and among Providence Community Church apart from the reality of God. God, may that be true of our church that the only way that you can explain or rationalize what's happening here is because the Spirit of God has to be real and He has to be at work. So for those that don't believe God, I can sympathize with them because I know that sometimes the way in which you have chosen to reveal yourself to the world in and through the local church, Lord God, makes it hard to believe. But God, I pray that it would not be so of our church. I pray that we would love with such a depth and we would care with such compassion and we would serve with such service, God, that those who are not Christian among us could only point to the power of the Holy Spirit as the cause and the source of our life. Help us, God, to be the people you've called us to be. Help us to live as you've called us to live and help us to glorify your son, Christ Jesus, as we do it all. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.